0: Well, good morning to all of you who are joining us at our Ashley Park campus. We are so glad you chose to be with us here today. My name is Nathan Martin, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Community Christian. And I really do think that you could not have picked a better Sunday to be joining in with us because we are continuing in this series that's all about Jesus. We're calling it Jesus is Greater. And really the idea behind this is that we are looking at the life of Jesus as shown in the Bible. And we've been saying that when Jesus came to earth, well, he came to bring something new and greater than anything that came before. And that he's inviting us into this new kind of life where we have a new way of relating to God and to people and to all, really, of all existence and all creation. It's a totally new way of doing things. And our hope is that really as we draw closer to Him, as we really see who He is uh, as described in the Bible, we really see Him, not with the assumptions and ideas so many of us carry around, but we really see His life as we're in this series leading up to Easter, that we begin to see how our lives could be radically different if we really adopted the new that He came to bring to our world and to our lives. And you know, if you're here (laughs) in you're kind of new to this whole church thing and maybe you're not even really sure you believe all we believe, I really hope you keep coming and engaging with this series and that you really uh, try your best to come in with an open mind and really see Jesus for who he is because I would really encourage you to begin imagining that if this all is true, what would it mean for your life? What would this new way of Jesus mean for your life? Because I believe That even if you're not sure you can believe all that Jesus says about himself and believe all of that's true, you'll want it to be true before you really even can believe it. And one day I hope you do come to believe it. Because I really do believe that this life-changing message of Jesus, that Jesus himself can change your life and make everything in your life different. And the story we're going to look at today out of the life of Jesus is actually something I think can make our world a completely different place if any of us would actually start living like Jesus in this area. You know, it it feels like our world more and more is just becoming divided and kind of segmented off that all of us are kind of separating ourselves and segmenting off into these little groups of our people. It's kind of like the old uh, high school uh, cafeteria. You remember those days, high school cafeteria? I do not remember those days because I was homeschooled, and uh, it was even worse for me because I couldn't even get my mom to sit at the lunch table with me. That's just my personal issues I'm trying to work out, out loud in front of hundreds of people I don't know that well. And so, uh, but you get what I'm trying to get at here, right? It doesn't really seem to matter how old you are, what age you're at. All of us, just naturally as human beings, tend to kind of segment ourselves off and to these groups and to these groups of people, and we call them, you know, that's my people. Those are my kind of people. And it doesn't really matter whether you're in high school anymore or not. It all kind of works the same way for us, right? We surround ourselves with people who are like us, right? People who look like us and think like us and grew up like us and vote like us. We just surround ourselves with people who are like me. That's my people. And it doesn't really change much after high school. I read a study recently that said that in the 1976 election here in the U.S. that about 25 percent of the U.S. population uh, they lived in what was known as a landslide county which is probably what you imagine that means. It's just where the vast majority of people in that county all voted the same way. So that means 75% of the US population at that time lived in a place where there were diverse opinions and not everyone agreed on everything and we didn't all think the same and somehow we still all survived it. But in the 2016 election, so the most recent election, uh, the studies show us that 60% of the US population lived in one of these landslide counties. And if you get outside of like the big counties of like big cities where you have lots of different kinds of people and different ideas, when you get into areas like most of us live around here, 75 to 80 percent of the U.S. population that kind of live in these areas, they live in landslide counties. Everyone voted the same way. Everyone kind of agrees on the same way when it comes to this issue. But you know what's interesting? If you look at the polling data of individuals in our country uh, based on their opinions on individual issues, so the kind of big issues we all are talking about, when they poll individuals on their individual opinions on individual issues, this is actually what our country looks like. There's not a lot of dark reds and not a lot of dark blues. It, we all mostly kind of agree on the big issues. But here's what's interesting. Over time, we've not all just gone more united together and and more uh, joined in on the same thing because of all the agreement we have. You know, we all mostly agree on the big issues, but, well, we're not all just on the same page, are we? No, what's happened is we've begun to divide ourselves, and we really kind of pick a label, and that's my group, and everyone in my group is right, and not just right like we're correct. We're morally right. We're morally right about what should happen, and so that means everyone on the other side is my enemy, and they're not as moral as I am. They are the bad guys. And it's not just politics where we divide on this. We do this based on everything from age and our generation to gender to money to race to nationality to sexual orientation to even religion. All of us, if we can divide, we'll find some way to divide. And that's not really just a problem that's out there in our world. It's a problem that's in here, and it's a problem that's in here. We all do this, whether we really want to think it's true of us or not. In fact, I think many of us really wish that everybody kind of had to put whatever their affiliation or their group or their stance on an issue was on a t-shirt or on a bumper sticker, so I can just go ahead and know when I first see you really how much I need to pay attention to your ideas and really how much respect do I need to give you because I need to know whether you're friend or foe on this issue like it would really help if I just kind of knew what your stance on immigration was before I knew you just put that on a shirt or hey what about the whole Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, who you repping on that and really with this whole gun control issue where do you stand on that and here's what I think is interesting I kind of named some hot button kind of issues here And all of us have a stance in mind on that issue, but we don't just think we're right about the issue. We think God thinks we're right on this issue. We think God is on our side of the fight on this. And what that means is God also is looking down on all those people on the other side who are wrong about this, and God's looking down on them. So it's okay for me to do the same. And see, we all have a group of those people or you people in mind, right? I mean... All you conservatives think alike. All you liberals want the same thing. All you boomers, all you millennials, right? People like you, you're just looking for a handout. Hey, people like you, you didn't really earn your money. It was given to you, or, you know, you stole it. You didn't get it. Honestly, I hear this one all the time. You know what's wrong with this country? People like you, then you fill in the blank with whatever you think. And Here's the truth. Both sides of any argument think that. We think, you know what would fix this problem? If people like you weren't even around. We didn't even have to bother with people like you. All of us on any side tend to think that. And so what happens is, well, we segment ourselves off into groups where everyone looks like me and thinks like me. Because it's easier. It's simpler. It's more comfortable. But is this what God wants? Well, I don't think it should be a huge shock to hear me say, no, this is not what the God who made us had in mind for us. See, God doesn't look at our world and see all our labels and see all the groups we segmented off. and He doesn't look and go, you people. God doesn't look at our world and see you people. He just sees you. That that was really good, and I feel like maybe you didn't get it, and maybe there wasn't the kind of reaction I was looking for. Because, look, here's the deal. If you guys get this early on, I can just be done, and y'all can go ahead and go on to lunch. But I'm going to say it again, maybe let it sink in. <laughs> when God looks at our world, he doesn't see you people. He just sees you, and he loves you. And he loves the you next to you and across the aisle from you. And the story we're going to look at out of the life of Jesus today, it really proves this point. See, when Jesus was on earth, our, our world was still incredibly divided and segmented, and I might argue that even more so than today, and that may be hard to believe, but everyone in that day thought their side was God's side, and if they wasn't our God, they have created their own God, and that God was on their side, and every God Every every nation, every group, every religion, we have our own God, and God's on my side, and everyone else on the the other side, they're just wrong. They're just bad. And see, Jesus came to introduce a whole new way of seeing God and seeing the people in our life. So at this point in the story of Jesus' life, he's been in a place called Judea, and Judea is kind of in the southern part of what we would now call like modern Israel and Palestine and that whole area. And he's doing ministry in Judea and he's healing people and he's preaching about this kingdom of God, this new thing that he is bringing to the world. And he's starting to gather a following, and that's becoming a problem for the religious leaders, as we'll see in future weeks, that the religious leaders begin kind of gunning for him because of this. And eventually they're the ones who end up killing him. And so Jesus knows, hey, they're kind of after me. And so he decides he needs to leave Judea and he's going to go back to the northern part of this country to a place called. Galilee, which is where he grew up. It's his kind of home turf. But in between Judea in the south and Galilee in the north is this area called Samaria. And Jesus decides to go through Samaria. And so John, who was a follower of Jesus at this time, and then at the end of John's life ends up writing a biography of Jesus, he writes this about this point in Jesus' life. He says, so he, Jesus, Left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Now, here's what any Jewish person hearing this story would have said at the time Um, no. He did not have to go through Samaria because no Jewish person has to go through Samaria. In fact, they do whatever they can to avoid Samaria and Samaritans. We will take an extra couple days on our journey just to go around Judea to get back to Galilee. No one has to go through Samaria. And here's why the Jews hated the Samaritans, they saw them as second class people almost closer to animals than human. I mean, they would often call them Samaritan dogs, sometimes even worse. It's a good thing that in our kind of modern times, we don't really have names that we call people to uh, dehumanize people on the other side of an argument, right? Right? Now, this was a racial issue for uh, the Samaritans. Uh, the, I mean, this was a racial issue for the Jews and the Samaritans because the Samaritans and the Jews once were uh, one people, but because of a civil war, uh, their nations split, and the Samaritans, when this happened, began to intermarry with uh, people of other nations. And so the Jews began to really become kind of disgusted by this because they were no longer pure-blooded Jews. And so this was an issue about racism, It was also an issue uh, about religion because when the Samaritans did start to intermarry, they took the faiths of these other nations and they kind of mixed it in with their worship of God. And if you remember last week, Jason talked about the Jewish temple that was in Jerusalem. Well, the Samaritans had their own temple and it was up on a mountain and the Jews couldn't stand this and they knew they were wrong and God loved them. And the Samaritans thought, well, the God loves us and he doesn't like the Jews. And so they often would do things to defile one another's temple this was like political warfare, it was national, it was racial, it was religious, and there was so much hostility between these two groups that really the best way for us to understand it is to kind of think of street gangs in like south-central L.A. or really the groups that uh, often are fighting over area in uh, the Middle East. No one is ever willingly going into the other person's territory. But Jesus had to go through Samaria. Samaria. And on top of that, Jesus stops to rest at a well. He's not just going through, he's taking a break. And later on, we find out he sends his disciples into town to go and get some food, and he stops and rests at this well. And he's all alone, and a Samaritan woman comes out to get water. Now, John makes a point here to make sure the reader knows she's coming to the well at noon. And this is significant because no one comes to the well at noon. Uh, collecting water was usually very difficult, very heavy, tiring kind of work. And so in a desert climate like Israel, no one's going out in the hottest part of the day, noon, to go and collect water. And so what often happened is the women of the town would go out together very early in the morning when it was cool to go get water. And this became a kind of social activity because it's where you'd go to get all the town gossip. And sometimes even guys would hang around the well and think, maybe I'll pick up a wife or two. And so it kind of became this social gathering spot. And so for John to note, here's a woman who's coming alone at noon when she doesn't think anyone else is going to be there. She's putting herself through these kind of extreme, tiring, uncomfortable situations. There's probably a reason why. So she arrives at the well at noon. She's probably not looking to see anyone, especially a Jewish man like Jesus. Jesus speaks to her when, when she shows up, and he asks her for a drink of water. And she's really shocked by this, and this is what she says. Um, You're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And John puts this note in case the readers didn't understand. The Jews don't associate with the Samaritans. I think you might be kind of underselling it here, John. They don't just not associate with the Samaritans. They hate the Samaritans. They despise them. They can't even be around them. And really what I think the woman is asking here is, how can you ask me for a drink? Look, I know what your religious leaders say about Samaritans, and if you took water from me, well, that would defile it, and you'd become unclean. You'd be filthy just from touching me and drinking something that I gave you. And not just that I'm a Samaritan, but I'm a woman. This is a time in history where people had such a low view of women that The idea that Jesus, who's a single man at this time, would be talking to a woman in public, but all alone, this would have been something that was inappropriate. It would have been taboo. But Jesus doesn't care about how inappropriate this is. He, He doesn't even care about what the Jewish religious leaders have to say about how Jews and Samaritans should deal with one another. You see, Jesus does not have a group of those people. Jesus invites all people, into his kingdom. Jesus is the God who created all people. He loves the diversity of his creation. He loves all skin tones and body shapes, and he loves all languages and accents, and he loves all personality types and temperaments, and he loves people from every nation and every political party, no matter how offensive or disturbing you think their ideas are. Jesus is not uncomfortable with welcoming accepting anybody. He's not uncomfortable with reaching across the table to share a meal, or shake hands, or hold hands, or lock eyes with anyone, because Jesus doesn't see you people. He just sees you, and his love for you is not dependent on whether or not you are like him, because newsflash, no one is. He is the all-powerful, almighty, all-perfect God of this universe, and you are not, and neither am I, but he loves us. And so Jesus asks this woman for a drink, and they kind of have this short conversation where they're trying to decide whether or not she should give the drink to him. And then Jesus makes her this offer that's just incredible. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And if it's not clear, Jesus is not talking about a physical thirst here. He's talking about something deeper that almost all of us have felt at some point in time, where you keep chasing after the same things, thinking that it's finally going to make you feel whole and make you, make you feel satisfied. You keep going to the same well over and over and over again, getting a drink, and every time you're still thirsty again. It's never enough. I mean, it's why you keep saying, you know what, I know the last job didn't do it, but honey, I promise this promotion, things are going to be different. Everything, I'm finally, it's going to be different. It's why you keep saying, hey, you know, I know the last relationship or that last marriage, it, it certainly wasn't the one for me, but you know, she's different. He's different. This one's going to finally fix it. It's why you go on shopping binges or drinking binges. or Maybe it's just a Netflix binge. You're just trying to distract yourself. You're trying to entertain it away or drink it away or numb it away so you just don't even have to think about the fact that nothing ever seems enough. I mean, sure, for a short period of time, you're happy or you feel a little bit of contentment, but it's never fully satisfying. It's never all that you thought it would be. And Jesus says, I have the solution for that problem, that kind of thirst. I have a life that is so amazing. I will fill you with eternal amounts of of joy and peace and love and rest. You can finally rest. And it will never end, overflowing into eternity. It's more than enough for you. So Jesus says to her, hey, I have this, this water for you that will fully satisfy. And she says, well, then I want this water. I want this. And then Jesus kind of puts the conversation on hold and he says, well, okay, then go and get your husband. I think she kind of looks down and goes, well, I have no husband. See, this is the moment where that secret that you hope no one ever finds out about, that thing you've been trying to hide, that flaw you hope that no one really can see, it becomes clear that, well, everyone's kind of seen it all along. Everyone's always known. See, in our world, having a husband, or not having a husband, is not really that scandalous of a thing, but in their society, it was a totally different thing. It's even... Worse for her, because Jesus goes on to say that he knows that not only is she not married right now, but she's been married five times. She's had five husbands, and the man she's living with right now, that's not her husband. Once again, this may not mean a lot to us, but in their culture, this is such a scandalous, shameful thing for her. This is why she comes to the well at noon. She's an outcast in her society. I mean, think about it. It's possible that some of her husbands have died, but Is it possible that a couple of those husbands have now remarried some of the women in this very small town, and every time she goes to the well with the women, she runs into one of them and just reminds her? Or is it possible that there are rumors that are spread about a woman like this, that there are whispers that the women share and that there are jokes that the teenage boys make as she walks by? It's just too much for her to handle. see, when Jesus looks at her, He doesn't see her past or her reputation. He sees her. He sees her as the daughter of God that she is, and he loves her because that's all that matters to him. Jesus sees past the kind of labels that separate us, these things that most of us feel justified in judging other people, and he knows the truth about us. See, in this time, women in society, she couldn't have asked for a divorce. This would not have been something that she could have initiated. Instead, five different times men have told her, "You're not good enough for me." In fact, often in this society, one thing that's even written into their laws, it was okay. It's completely justified to divorce a woman if she burns dinner. It's not even a joke. That's a real thing. And so Jesus knows this is a woman who knows the pain of rejection. She knows what it's like to see her husband choose another woman over her time and time again. She knows what it's like to have men use her for what they think she's only good for and then toss her to the side. She knows what it's like to be looked down on by the women of this town and by the Jews because of her race. But here's Jesus, a Jewish man. When he looks at her, he doesn't look down on her. Instead, said he He sees her. He doesn't want anything from her. Maybe it's the first man this has ever been true of in her life. He looks at her and he loves her and he just wants to offer her a life better than she could imagine. He sees her. And this is how Jesus sees you. I don't know you and I I don't know your life. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what secrets that you're hiding, what things in your past you're running from. You're hoping no one will ever find out about but Jesus does. He's seen it all. He's seen every mistake that you wish you could forget. And he loves you. He is not mad at you. He is not waiting to shake his finger at you and condemn you. He is waiting with open arms, wanting to embrace you because you are his child and he loves you. All you have to do is respond to him. No matter who you are, what you've done, Jesus loves you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this is the mindset you have to have with every person in your life. If you don't know, the the slogan of our church that's really been kind of adopted the past couple years around here is this. Love everyone always. See, if we're not careful, this quickly turns into love everyone who's just like me. Or who gets along with me. Or who votes with me. Or has the kind of ideas that I like. Or who acts like me and looks like me and lives like me. It's not really everyone, it's just everyone I choose. And I know we think we don't do this, I don't like to think of myself as a person who's got a group of those people, but we all do, and here's the truth, I bet if you were honest enough, you were brave enough to ask some people who are really close to you in your life, they'd be able to point out a group of people that you always seem to avoid, or you seem to always have something negative say, to say about. You never can say anything positive. you got a couple names. Maybe you throw out there about them. Maybe there's a group of people who you're always suspicious about whenever anything comes up about them. We, we all have something. And maybe it's not a specific group of people. But maybe it's just a kind of person. There's a person in your life, and you don't really know them, but you get a vibe off of them, and it just doesn't feel right. You know, the way they look, or the way they dress, or the way they talk, or the car they drive, you just get a feeling, and you go, you know what, that's not really my kind of person. I don't really want, you know, it's just not my kind of person. I don't really want to spend a lot of time with them. And so we end up either avoiding them, or kind of cutting them out of our lives, and then we don't really have to feel bad about the fact that we're not actively loving them, I mean, we're not hating them. I'm I'm not hating them, but look, I just don't have to spend any time with them. Well, if we're not careful, we quickly become a group of people who begin to say, you know, you don't have to go through Samaria. You know, you don't have to be around those kind of people. You know, you don't have to spend time or engage in a conversation with those kind of people. It's a waste of your time. And we go through our days and we just unconsciously ignore the people God puts in our path. We don't make eye contact. We just kind of avoid them. We don't speak to them. And we're, we're not hating them. But we are not actively looking for ways to love them like Jesus has loved us. We are not looking for ways to bless them and make their lives better. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, you do not get a choice on this issue. Jesus has already spoken. We follow a God who had to go through Samaria. Everywhere he went, he chose to interact with people who were nothing like him. He chose to engage and look for ways to love and serve people who often were against him. He chose to look past the things that divide human beings and say, hey, there's one thing under all of this that unites all people. Everyone is made in the image of God, and they are sacred to him. He cherishes them. We've been called to have that same mindset, that every person in this world, every person, including the people who are those people for you, they're made in the image of God. and God has put them in your path for you to love them and to serve them. So my challenge for you and for myself this week is first, we got to identify who's my group of those people that I'm avoiding that I just refuse to really think anything positive about. Maybe get a little brave and at lunch today, ask your friends or ask your family. So who's my those people? That'll be a comfortable conversation. <laughs> and then maybe the second thing you need to do is you need to have a conversation this week with someone who's in that group, who, who's in your life. I'm not asking for any kind of huge commitment here. What I'm asking you to do is to be curious to admit that maybe your assumptions about this person or those people may not be the full story, that you may not fully understand. I'm asking you to listen. I'm asking you to be willing to love this person like Jesus has loved you, to give them the benefit of the doubt, to follow his example like this woman at the well, that you stop seeing those people and you just see the person in front of you. You just love the person in front of you. You listen to them. One conversation. That's all I'm asking. Because we can no longer choose to ignore those people and think "Well, we're doing, what Jesus would do. We must move towards them in love. Because in Jesus' kingdom, there are no more those people. There's just people who are made in the image of God, who are sacred to him. See, this whole exchange between Jesus and the woman ends with her testing once more to really see, this all seems a little too good to be true. I'm not sure I can believe this. I mean, you're, you're treating me like we're equals. And maybe you've forgotten something, Jesus. We don't worship God the same way. I mean, this isn't just like a worldly issue. This is a God issue. We don't even worship him the same way. He doesn't even think we're on the same side of this issue. You shouldn't treat me like this. Jesus responds. There is coming a time where none of this is going to matter. The things that divide human beings, the things we seem to think matter so much, none of it will matter. All that will matter is that people who want to worship God, people who want to be in my new kingdom, people who want to follow me will worship together as one people. And Jesus says, This isn't a far-off reality. He says, the time is coming and it's now come. In me, the kingdom of God, everything in heaven and on earth is meeting in me right now. This life is possible for you. The barriers between human beings can be ripped apart because when Jesus died and he rose again, he made it possible for anyone who wants to, who wants to be in his kingdom, they can all join together as brothers and sisters, one family. Because wherever followers of Jesus gather together, no matter who they are, where they're from, what they've done, they are brothers and sisters in Christ. See, this is something that boggled the minds of ancient peoples when the early church began because they couldn't understand. There would never been a group like this before where they crossed racial boundaries. There were Jews and Greeks and Jews and even Samaritans. You'll see this in the book of Acts. They joined together and they call each other Brother and sister. You have men and women for the first time treating each other as equals. Never happened before. Social status, like whether you're a Roman citizen or you're a non-citizen, whether you're a slave or you're free, it didn't matter here. Everyone was the same. Everyone was a brother or sister. And these people who had no reason to be together, in fact, they had every reason to divide. They had every reason to despise one another and hate one another. They joined together daily to share meals together. They shared everything with one another. No one had seen in the ancient world. They were amazed at this. It didn't make sense. They did not have a category for this kind of life. It was something brand new. But they couldn't deny something different is happening with these Christians. This is something Jesus said would happen with his followers if they really followed him the right way. On his last night before he went and died, he had a meal with his followers, and he told them, hey, I've got a new command for you. It's this love everyone always Command. Just as I have loved you, you love one another. And then he says this remarkable statement. He says, by this one thing, everyone will be able to know you are my followers, you are my disciples, if you love one another. You want to know how people are going to know there's something different about Christians? It's not the way we vote it's not necessarily even by the the, the shirts we carry or any of these different kind of things, the Bibles that we're carrying in our hands, none of these things is how people are gonna know there's something different about us. The way they know there's something different about us is the way we love people who are radically different than us. How we join together as brothers and sisters, as family with people who we have nothing in common with other than we all love Jesus and we all are committed to loving everyone always. This is what it means to be the church. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, that we enter into a new kind of family he brought. And so today, I want to invite you to come to the table of Jesus. And everyone is invited, because it's his table. It's not mine. I mean, if it was my table, I might exclude some of you people. But Jesus' table, all are welcome. You might have noticed when you came in around, around the room today, there are some tables with bread and juice set up. And the reason why is because on this night where Jesus was having his final meal with his followers, he took bread from the table and he, he broke it. And he said, this is my body and it's given for you. And then he took the cup from the table and he drank it. And he said, this is my blood that is poured out for you. It's going to make a new agreement between God and people. This new way of relating where All of you could be brothers and sisters. And then he said, do this meal, take part in this meal to remember me. So for thousands of years, followers of Jesus who had nothing else in common joined together as brothers and sisters to remember the body and blood of Jesus given for them to adopt them as sons and daughters of God. And so in just a moment, I'm gonna invite you to go to a table near you. And uh, right where you're at, there are gonna be some ushers who are gonna help kind of direct you to those tables. And so if you're going to be helping do that this morning, if you're going to help show people uh, to the tables, if you would go ahead and stand up and get in place right now. But in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to move to one of those tables and go take the bread and juice and remember the body and blood of Jesus given for you. But, you know, you're going to stand in line for just a minute. And as you do, I want you to take a moment to look around at the people closest to you. And you might even make eye contact with someone. It'll be a little awkward, but that's okay. Because even though this person in front of you may not dress like you, or look like you, or act like you, or think like you, or they may not have even voted like you, they are your brother and sister in Christ, and you have more in common than you have that could ever divide you. So I encourage you that when you go and you take the body and blood, you don't just thank, you don't just thank God for Jesus, you thank God for your brothers and sisters that surround you. And you know, if you're here today and you're not really sure you believe all that we believe. I get this whole thing might seem a little uncomfortable or weird. and uh, One thing you've got to know about us here is that this is not a place where you ever have to fake who you are or what you believe. You certainly don't ever need to participate in something that makes you uncomfortable. It, it may actually be better for you during this time to stay seated and kind of reflect on everything that you've heard and imagine. Could this be true? Could this be real? Maybe take the moment to kind of Say a prayer to God saying, hey, if you're real, would you make yourself known to me? I believe he wants to do that. Some of you today, you're you're at the place where this woman at the well was at, where you're just tired of chasing after things that never satisfy. You're tired of going to the same well over and over again. You're looking for life, but it just leads to more emptiness and more death. You're ready for the new kind of life that Jesus offers. Well, I want you to have a chance today to respond to that. If you'd stay seated during this next moment where everyone gets up and you'd take out your phone and you'd go to ashleyparkchurch.com that we've been directing you to throughout this service, on that website there's a card that says Make a Decision. And there's a form there where you can fill out your name and some contact info and you can let us know. Are, Are you looking for some, you have some questions you'd love to have answered or you're ready to make a decision to follow Jesus or maybe you're ready to make that decision public by being baptized. If you'd let us know by going on that Make a Decision card right now and filling that out, this week someone from our staff will get in contact with you and we'll walk you through that decision. We would love to do that for you. Do not leave today if you're at a place where you're ready to make a decision. Don't leave without doing that. So Go to ashleyparkchurch.com right now. Fill out that card. If you're a follower of Jesus today, I invite you now to move to the table of God where everyone is welcome. That everyone around you, your brother or sister in Christ, remember your command to love everyone just as Jesus has loved you. Let's do that right now.